0: Screen Time
1: with John Fardy. This is News Talk.
0: Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, I talk to director Ross Colleen about his amazing new Damien Dempsey documentary, Love Yourself Today, about the healing power of music. Mark Ryle gets to grips with Marvel's latest offering, Eternals. Plus actress Simone Kirby on her favourite movie. And her new RTE drama Hidden Assets. Plus your chance to win The Suicide Squad on DVD. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy. Or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. Nothing strange with me. Let's get down to it
2: you familiar with Napoleon. He said, I am
3: driven towards an end that I do not know. As I reach it, as I shall become unnecessary, an atom shall suffice to shatter me. Until then, all forces of humankind can do nothing to stop me. As a man who knew exactly who he was, and most importantly, He knew that his time would come to an end.
0: Yes, now that is, is it the unmistakable voice? Maybe you weren't sure who that was, but that was Idris Elba talking about Napoleon and doing so rather frighteningly. That is a clip from a new movie called The Harder They Fall, which landed on Netflix this week. And it's a Western, and I suppose the unusual motif of it is that it's all African-Americans, it's all black people being westerners in it as in cowboys and cowgirls as well because you've got Regina King you've got Idris Elba Jonathan Majors and what it is it's about two rival gangs as is often the case in westerns and it's Jonathan Majors heading up one and as a kid a guy came to his house a pretty naughty cowboy came to his house and killed both his parents and left him with a mark on his face. And this has stayed with him all his life in his gun-slinging career. And he comes face-to-face with that same man with the head of the other rival gang, played by Idris Elba, who's actually not not in it that much. He's kind of like, almost like the jaw shark. But when he does show up... It's spine-tingling. It's a really good Western. Now, a lot of talk has been about the fact that it's it's based on real African-Americans, although the, it's fictionalised. You know, African-Americans have been written out of that Western story, and that's worthy and it's of note. But at the same time, this is just a really good straight-ahead Western, I found. Idris Elba is brilliant. as this scary villain in it. And... There's some great fight scenes in it, some gunslinging, but it also has a real modern kind of take on it. It looks a bit like Tarantino at times. It was a really enjoyable Western. The harder they fall, now available on Netflix. You should check it out, my friends we have a competition for you again this week to celebrate their home release of the Suicide Squad on the 5th of November we have 5 copies of the DVD to give away, now the Suicide Squad was in cinemas oh about 2 months ago I think or there or thereabouts our own Mark Royal gave it 4 stars I probably don't need to give it any higher praise than that but it's supervillains Harley Quinn Bloodsport, Peacemaker and a collection of well nutty cons at Belle Reve Prison join the super secret, super shady Task Force X as their dropped off on a remote, enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. And it stars Margot Robbie, Idris Elba. There's a huge cast in it. John Cena, Joel Kinnaman. As I say, Mark Royal gave it four stars. So, you know, put that on the poster. We have copies. Five copies of the DVD to give away. Simply text the word SQUAD. I won't get you to text the word suicide that could be weird. So text the word squad followed by your name to 53106 or you can email us screentime at newstalk.com and the wonderful Anne-marie Kane will pick a winner. And now we turn to the week's big new releases, and chief among them is Marvel's latest offering, Eternals. We'll also be looking at the new Paul Schrader movie, The Card Counter. And I'm delighted to be joined by our resident critic, Mark Ryle. Mark, how are you?
3: I'm great, John. How are you?
0: Good. Someone tweeted me during the week saying...
3: Let's just move on. (laughs) ...saying,
0: I was on Pat Kenny last week, and they said, why do you ask... Pat, how he is every week, it's pointless, and I just thought, well, I don't think it is, I'm fond of the man, I want to know he's all right, now, I know he's not going to get into, well, actually, you know, I had a bad night last night, dark night of the soul, but still, I think it's a nice thing to say, so I'm glad you're well.
3: It's basic decency.
0: Yeah, even on radio, you have to have basic decency. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So listen, talking of basic decency, uh, Marvel, their, <laughs> their, <laughs> their, their latest movie, which I haven't seen. Now, I was, right. I was meant to, and I was actually, the nice people at Disney offered me an interview with Barry Keoghan, one of my favorite Irish actors who's in it, and it was my fault I wasn't able to go, so that didn't happen. But anyway, you have been to Eternals, Marvel's latest offering, which is in cinemas from uh, this Friday. What's going on, and what did you make of it?
3: That's a good question, and I will try and explain. Um, So the Eternals are a football team-sized bunch of immortal superhumans that were created at the dawn of civilization by another bunch of immortals called the Celestials. Are you with me so far?
0: Big time. Celestials and Eternals. And
3: Eternals, yeah. Very good. the, The Eternals, they've got a single solitary duty, and it is to, and I'm quoting directly here, eradicate the Deviants. Now, (laughs) okay, the the, the deviants they're not BBC radio on DJs from the, the 1970s and 80s. These, um, these deviants are big CGI monster things that eat humans, and I suppose, like Star Trek. Um they've got this the prime directive thing. If a deviant isn't involved, then the Eternals can't get involved with with, with the the affairs of mankind. And I, I'm gonna stop there because for, for some reason Marvel superfans really take it personally if you say anything about the plot other than it has actors in it who say and do things.
0: Yeah, no, I, I remember once we were reviewing, oh, it's a long time ago now, Avengers Endgame, and we got slightly too close to uh, the edge in terms of plot reading. So, so we don't want to do that. But presumably large battles ensue between uh, Eternals and Deviants.
3: I thought you said you didn't see it. <laughs> this is, yeah, this, it's the 26th Marvel movie, if you can believe that. Wow. And it, it is the first. I think now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Chloe Zhao is the first Oscar-winning director to direct a Marvel movie. I know that Kenneth Branagh was nominated a bunch of times, but he, I don't think he's won for directing. And um, oh, uh, Taika Waititi won his for screenwriting. So Chloe Zhao, I think, is the first Oscar-winning director to direct a Marvel movie. And we Um, should
0: remind people, she gave us Nomadland. Nomadland
3: and The Rider, and Mm. uh, yeah, two really gorgeous movies.
0: So it's quite, one could suggest incongruous that she's now directing a Marvel movie, or certainly surprising, let's say.
3: It's certainly surprising, yeah. Um, It's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I just, I think signing up a filmmaker like Chloe Zhao and then nailing her down to this immovable Marvel formula it's it 's a bit of a waste, you know, and i 'm not like having seen Nomad Land and having seen the rider i 'm really at a loss as to what exactly it was that Marvel saw in her work that made them think that that she would be a good fit for this because um I think Eternals is a movie that that kind of falls between two stools it 's not one thing and it 's not another, and I think it goes to prove that who no matter who is behind the camera of these things, you just can 't fight the the Marvel machine.
0: And by that token, you were kind of pretty much saying, generally, the Marvel formula and the Marvel machine. Uh, But but you actually didn't let me put in the subordinate cause to what I was going to say. I was going to say that formula and that machine, are you saying, regularly doesn't give us good movies, so it doesn't matter who the director is.
3: It it doesn't matter who's behind the camera. They all kind of stick stick to the same template. Mm -hmm. Now, in fairness, uh, Eternals does differentiate itself from the other 25 movies on a couple of different levels. Um, for starters, it's a lot more earthy and organic than that glossy plastic look that you normally get with Marvel. Um, and there's a lot more natural landscapes with natural light um, instead of soundstage green screen backdrops. Um, on the level of representation, it has, it's got easily the most racially diverse cast of any of these comic book movies so far, which is great. And it is also the first, I think, with an openly gay character that 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 can't be glossed over as, uh, well, you know, maybe they're just really good friends. Yeah. Um, and there is also a, a, the the first, I think, blink and you'll miss it sex scene. Um, Although it does look like uh, it's from a perfume commercial. So there's a a couple of things that that Marvel haven't done before, in fairness.
0: And I want to point out to listeners that Mark isn't one of those people who just immediately hears Marvel and says it's going to be terrible. I mean, we we both enjoyed Black Widow to a certain extent, the most recent Marvel we see. So you went to this with an open mind. So Chloe Zhao's... The things we know of her—does she bring any of that? I don't know indie sensibility to this, or
3: no, no, okay. no. I mean, I've, I've, yeah, you're right. I don't hate these things. Um, I'm, the main reason I don't like them is because I have to come on here every three months and explain how this flying man movie is different to last month's flying man <laughs> movie. You know, it's a bit like it's a bit like a fashion show where every model comes out wearing the same dress. I mean, once you've described the dress. You've really, you don't really have anywhere left to go. Um, yeah, I, I've given out a lot about Marvel's inability to pull off a decent final act. Mm. And at a certain point, Eternals does fall back into an, yet another demonstration of of one weightless CGI thing throwing another weightless CGI thing around the screen without any sense of physics or gravity, but to be fair, the f- final act in Eternals, it, it takes place on a, on a beach in daylight, um, as opposed to outer space or some wacky alternative dimension. Um, and you know, at this point, anything different <laughs> is a welcome change. Yeah. And um, there's a, the, the, I just want to talk about the, the humor, which is, which was very odd. There's a lot of jokes in this, but none of them land really at all. And it's quite cringy. I don't think I laughed once, um, which is it's not a crime because it's not supposed to be a comedy, but usually the humor in these things, you know, such as it is, it's, it's usually a lot sharper than it is in, in, in this one.
0: Yeah. Now you've got all sorts of people: Angelina, go Shirley, ahead, yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Richard Made Richard Maiden, who people know from the Bodyguard. Our own Barry Keoghan. uh Selma Hayek's in it as well. Keep like, going. Our, Yeah, I know it goes on and on. Uh, who else should I mention? I'm trying to think. Gemma Chan. Uh, is there anyone I'm forgetting?
3: I, I don't think so. Um,
0: of regular I, names. But yeah. are, are they like Chloe Zhao in terms of they're just way down under the weight of the formula? Or it, are there good performances in this?
3: It, it suffers from, it definitely suffers from an abundance of protagonists. And I think there's about 10 or 12 main characters. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's lots of shots of them lining up in a row. Like you know, they're waiting for the national anthem to be played, but with the exception of of Gemma Chan and Richard Madden, I honestly forgot about all of them when they weren't on the screen, and that's including Angelina Jolie, who doesn't look very happy to be here. Has to be said, (laughs) Um, you know, one of them will go missing for half an hour, and then they'll show up again uh, later on, and you go, oh yeah, I forgot about him, and um, it's it's so there's too many there's too many characters. And also the, the big problem with this is as much as it tries to convey how high the stakes are, um the, the second the secondary bad guy monster things are just rubbish. And the, the big major bad guy, he's 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 very muddy and wishy washy. He's just a bit of a CGI non entity, okay. and there's not really any emotional hook that keeps you involved. Um so you know that's that's kind of where we're at.
0: Okay. And and just by the by Eternals right like mm. you know I came of age my brother had comic books I used to read Spider-Man, X-Men you know so I'm not oblivious to these things and I used to enjoy them certainly at a certain stage in my life and yeah. I'm all for comic books but and graphic but novels. Then you but,
3: put childish things behind you. Well
0: I am no I'm not saying that but all I'm pointing out is that I'm aware of this universe and have been yeah. known before the particular job I have now but I'd never heard of Eternals so yeah. these were these are comic book guys from some stage.
3: I believe they were from, I think they were, they were, they were, they were comic book guys. I think it was the 1970s. Um, okay. They're, they're definitely the problem is that Marvel, have, they've used up all of their recognizable characters like Iron Man and, and Captain America. Yeah. Avengers, And now they're, they're left with, you know, third tier stuff like, like this one and whatever the last one was and indeed whatever the next one is going to be. <laughs> I think like the best thing for everyone would be if Marvel decided to just give, give it a rest for a few years, which is not going to happen. No. You know, but I mean, I, I certainly think that, you know, the the well is running dry.
0: Or maybe just try and invent some new superheroes.
3: I, yeah, I mean, that would be, I don't know, I don't know I'm not saying that would be great. But I mean, <laughs> as I said, anything different would be would be welcome at this stage.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think Arrest is on the cards anytime no, soon. No. So what would you say stars wise for Eternals?
3: I'm going to give it a three because okay. um, I've seen worse. Okay. okay. Do you think do you think I've any chance of getting on the poster with that quote?
0: I was going to say, for I've seen worse, <laughs> Is uh, is it doesn't sound like a three star? So so I, I'm pleased. Do you remember in those Petty Falou ads where he's the food taster and he's like, "Well, it won't kill you." So <laughs> okay, well, let's give our listeners a flavour of that movie Eternals. Good. Okay, everyone, that was good. If we
3: can do ten percent better. That was beautiful. Very very good friends from college are here. Wow. Ah, boss! Perfect timing. Welcome to the set of Shandar, Dastane, Icarus. I'm playing you. You like the costume? We need to talk. Tell the director I have some notes we for We need him. to talk to you in private. Oh, Karan, he's worked with me for 50 years. I trust him completely. Actually, when we first met, he thought I was a vampire, and he tried to stake me through the heart. I've apologized so many times. Not quite enough times. Very close, though. I'll let you know. Oh, I have to get ready for the next scene. Come to my tent. We'll talk there. You You guys are going to love the next scene. I come in on a wire because, you know, I can't fly. Wait, are we getting back together? We need to talk. The deviants are back. We don't know how many there are.
0: You need to come with us. Yeah, that's a clip from Eternals, which Mark wasn't wild about, but he did give it a three. It's on general release. It's in all cinemas because it is a big blockbuster from the Marvel house. So something very different is the new movie from writer and director Paul Schrader, The Card Counter, which I have seen. Mark, tell our listeners what happens in this movie up to a certain point, of course.
3: Okay well in the card counter um Oscar Isaac he's a minor league uh, professional gambler called William Tell probably not his real name um who makes a living on the casino circuit playing blackjack and poker um he usually wins but he never wins big enough to attract the attention of the casino pit boss and in a former life uh, William was a, a torturer in Baghdad's Abu Ghraib prison and he taught himself how to count cards during the eight years that he spent in prison following his conviction. And by chance he meets Ty Sheridan's uh, Kirk, who is the son of a former colleague and Kirk intends to take ref- revenge on the man responsible for this culture of torture and enhanced interrogation, Abu Ghraib. But William takes him under his wing and he tries to set him back on a, on, on a straight path.
0: Yes, very well described. Uh, so it's Paul Schrader. And Just to remind people, Paul Schrader directed. Seventy-five now, yeah. He yeah, he, he directed movies like Affliction, one of my favorite movies. He wrote the screenplay for Taxi Driver and That's Raging Bull. Right, yeah. This guy has serious form. Just in case people don't know who Paul Schrader is, but listeners to this show probably do. So, did Paul Schrader pull this off for you? It's I, it's not quite up to the his
3: previous movie first reformed was just it was it's certainly a, a late career highlight and it was Terrific, just extraordinary yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah, um it's not up to that standard but I think it's quite a, a respectable um effort, um for me I, we talked very very briefly about this um and we kind of had similar views um it has two things going from the start and this is going to sound weird but. I think it's got a, a fantastic opening credits. Um <laughs> <laughs> it remind kind of reminded me of the 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 Saul Bass Hitchcock stuff. But the second thing it has going for it, um it's got a great setup. Um when we're introduced to Oscar Isaac's character Um, He's checking into this nondescript motel and then he opens up a suitcase and he he proceeds to wrap every piece of furniture in the room in fabric and twine. Mm. Like uh, it was uh, was a Chris Christo and uh, Jean-Claude were the the, that those artists who used to do similar things to to buildings. Um, But it's a really compelling setup. So for me, a lot of the hard work was done early and I was fascinated to see where it was going to go from there.
0: Yeah. And are you, am I sensing you didn't like where it went then?
3: Kind of. I mean, it's, it's odd. uh, there is a couple of, let's call them, uh, story leapfrogs where, you know, developments happen that don't, that, that feel quite jarring and you don't think that there is much reason or, or, you know, behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems quite unlikely that, that Oscar Isaac's character, would have any interest whatsoever in stepping into the father figure role for for Ty Sheridan. And there's also a romantic angle with uh, Tiffany Haddish uh, that doesn't quite seem credible either. But like I said, I think it did enough early on to, to keep me on board.
0: Mm. You see, I'm with you to a certain point, and we did discuss it briefly, but my view changed on it slightly in that I do think there's two particular things that happen that are slightly implausible. But I thought the weight of Oscar Isaac's performance as this kind of loner who's possibly trying to find a new life, but there ultimately may be some deceit at play in his own hand, I thought was really good. And someone getting over the scars of... Having been a torturer and getting out of prison and all that stuff, I thought his performance was great. And oddly enough, and you know, he's probably damned by this all his life, Paul Schrader. But I did actually think of Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver a few he's, times.
3: He's a huge fan of the of the the the, uh, the diary entry voiceover.
0: Yeah. <laughs> The yeah.
3: disturbed diary entry.
0: Yeah, and maybe I don't know that that kind of cold male who's trying, who's at odds with the world. I, you know, Schrader does that really well, whether he's writing it or directing it. And Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese produced this as well. We should say so. Even though there was a couple of plot points that were just a bit what, is That's slightly not believable, I stayed with it, and it, it's the litmus test for me. I've said it to you many times, but I I find days afterwards a few bits of of pop into my head again I also really like the casinos I might have said this before about a different movie but I was in Vegas and it's the strangest place the Vegas casinos or any of those American casinos because it's like there's oxygen pumped in and you don't know what time it is it could be 3 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon and I thought that cold weirdness of Mm. casinos was captured really well because that's a big part of the movie when he's playing this blackjack and uh, poker games and, and all that stuff. So on the whole, it kind of did it for me, you know?
3: Yeah, it, it it kind of feels like a movie from a different era. Yes, yeah. I
0: that's another thing. I I felt like a movie from like the late 80s or something. Yeah, and but, I even expected that trailer guy to come in. He's lost gambling on cards or something like that, you know? But I kind of like that. So yeah, I was yeah. all right with that, you know?
3: No, I liked it as well. I don't, I, I don't think you can be taken too seriously if you, if you one of your characters is called the kid in in 2021, you know? That's yeah. something that you be that's something that's consigned to the past
0: the the problem i as you say it there was his relationship with the kid was just yeah. a bit far-fetched is the wrong word unbelievable implausible something like that
3: yeah yeah because he i it has to like isaac is is incredible in it
0: yeah he's brilliant he's absolutely brilliant
3: he's he's just got this laser guided focus and he he's not playing your typical traumatized ex-soldier he's he's incredibly controlled and and precise throughout yeah. And um, as I said, I don't think I don't think he blinked once during the whole movie. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. You get dry eyes looking at him. You do, yeah. So listen, what would you say stars-wise for the card counter, which is in cinemas from this Friday as well?
3: Um, I'm going to give it a three and a half.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to give it as well. Now, yeah. it's funny, by the sounds of things, though, only half a star between that and the Eternals. Eternals seems a bit strange, but hey, I didn't see Eternals, so, you know.
3: I'm not sure how how uh, how much any of these, these these scores mean at the end of the day. They apparently.
0: matter a huge amount. Yeah. Okay. So that's three and a half. I mean, I I'm not a million miles away from a four, but I'll I'll keep it at a three and a half for the card counter, which is in cinemas this Friday. As is Eternals, which we gave. Well, which Mark gave a three. Thank you for that, Mark.
3: Thanks, John. Talk to you again.
0: Up next, the great new Damien Dempsey documentary. Love yourself today. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now another new release this week that I really want to tell you about is Love Yourself Today, which is, I suppose, part documentary and part concert film with Damien Dempsey at its centre and three of his fans. Now every Christmas, you may know, Damien Dempsey does gigs in Vicker Street and they've become kind of legendary, a gig you have to see. And this movie captures a bit of that. But it also captures three fans in particular, Nadia, Packy and John. Jonathan. And what Damien means to them. And we see their lives. They're struggling or certainly in the past have struggled with, I suppose, coping with life, with addiction and various things like that. We also see Damien in his day-to-day business of songwriting and discussing his own trials and tribulations and indeed his inspirations. It is a wonderful movie. It looks beautiful. Uh, I was blown away by it. And I'm delighted to say its director, Ross Killeen, joins me now. Hi, Ross.
1: Hi, John. How are you?
0: I'm very well. And I meant what I said about the movie it's not just that you're on the line but what i'm sure you've tired discussing this but just give me quickly how did it come about were you a demo fan and you thought the world needs to see this and see him in concert or what was your way into it
1: Uh, truth be told john i i wasn't actually um a hardcore demo fan initially um i was aware of Damo. I uh, knew the songs and I'd listened to the recorded songs and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, liked what I heard, but I hadn't, you know, uh, really got into them in a, in a serious way. Uh, until I was kind of going through a bit of a tough time myself. My mother was very sick and, um, a friend of mine said to me, oh, you should go and see Demo. you know, you'll, you'll feel better. Um, if you go and see a demo gig. So I went along one Christmas uh, with my wife and she was pregnant and uh, we um, we had to sit, you know, obviously um, normally we're top right at the gigs, but uh, <laughs> we had to sit on this occasion and uh, sat there in Vicker Street and, uh, the, you know, the gig started and I was just kind of spent the whole gig just watching the crowd. And then I was watching demo and I was watching the crowd and they're all singing and he's getting them to sing and they're singing every word back to him and hang on a second everyone's crying now and oh i'm crying and then you know damien's just getting everyone to sing everyone's singing back and then everyone's singing love yourself today at the end and and then he leaves the stage and people are still singing love yourself today for about 10 minutes and then they're singing it as they're walking down the road and i was just like this is amazing this is like I've been to so many gigs. I'm a massive music fan, but I've yeah. never been to anything like this before. It was like just incredible, and I, I really felt like I'd had some like kind of spiritual experience. I'd been cleansed in some way. <laughs> I walked out of Vicar Street, that I was just feeling amazing. You know, I yeah. Felt great. And um, I met a friend of mine a few days later, uh, Ross Macdonald, who's also a director, and uh, he's an old friend of mine, and we met and I was telling him, you know, I'd been to this gig and then he was saying he'd been to the gig before as well. And we just got talking and he was like, what about a doc, uh, demo and the fans, you know? And the minute he said it, I was just like, yeah, oh my God, that like, I, I can see it. I can see exactly what the film would be. And I, I want to do this, you know? So uh, yeah. we were kind of back and forth for ages. I thought he was going to direct and I'd produce it. I'd never directed a feature doc before. You know, I'd done a couple of shorts And, um, after a while of just back and forth with him, he was like, why don't you direct it? You're on the ground in Dublin. He was based in New York. So it made sense for me to do it. So I was like, okay, great. Um, I'll do it. So, uh, wrote out the idea, brought it to Damo, had a meeting with Demo in a cafe in Rohini. I'd never met him before, you know, so it was quite daunting, uh, meeting him, you know, he's a, a big unit, you know, he (laughs) he has a, he has a presence, you know, yeah. um, You know i read through the idea explained to him what we i was hoping to do and the kind of characters we'd be looking to feature and you know uh, the aesthetics and the kind of the vibe of the film i suppose he didn't say a whole lot he kind of just you know took it all in and then at the end he just kind of looked at me and said that's deadly you know right (laughs) Uh, and that was a relief because I wasn't sure what he was thinking. Yeah. Um, but the main thing he said at that meeting was that we should make a film that helps people. Mm. And that was kind of like, uh, from that point on, uh, very much. Um, almost real number one on the on the sheet, you know, as mm. to what uh, what the film could be, you know.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny you say that the way you describe not being a demo fan because I, I I've met him once or twice just through this gig, and I, I'm fond of his music, but I I haven't kept up to date with it, or I've never been to one of his gigs. Yeah. And then last night when I watched your film. I was like, who's, this is incredible. Who is this guy? Like, how have I never, I've been to yeah. plenty of gigs like yourself. How have I never seen this before? And I, I think this is not that he needs it, but this is going to make his career go gangbusters because you're left with this feeling watching this. I have to go see this guy live whenever I can next. Yeah. Let me ask you ab- about the fans. There's there's three people in particular that you focus on. Nat, Nadia, a young woman, and I won't go into specifics. Let, let people watch it for yeah. themselves. There's Packy and there's Jonathan, and they're all at different stages of overcoming life's vicissitudes let's say a, and various problems that they've had did you like had you met them in the crowd when you were at the gig or how did you source because they're brilliant in it uh, just being themselves i'm not saying they were acting or anything but but how did you hone in on those three
1: yeah well jonathan naddy and packy to me are the, the real heroes of the film mm. and um i'm so grateful to them for you know um for embracing um being involved in the film and and uh and being so honest and uh in sharing their stories and like to come back to uh, what Damo said to me that day in the cafe uh to make a film that helps people that was very much their motivations for getting involved like could them telling their story help someone else you know who's uh, potentially going through something uh, and they could see something in, in Jonathan's life or Nadia or Paki's life that would help them on their journey The first port of call, really, I was looking for fans. I asked Damo, you know, do you, because I had, um, yeah, as you say, they're all at different stages and that was really important. It's like almost like a past, present and future. I wanted someone who was kind of, uh, who'd been through it all and was kind of looking back, um, reflecting on what they'd been through and how they got through it, you know? Yeah. Um, And then I was looking at someone, looking for someone who's kind of looking forward, you know, who's uncertain about their future and and then someone who's very much in the present tense when we're filming them they're in the throes of it you know um so so damo immediately said jonathan and packy because i asked damo you know do you know any of your fans who'd be good candidates you know he obviously knows his fans better than anyone so he suggested i talk to jonathan and he suggested i talk to packy and when i met the two lads um it was it, it was great you know immediately um just immediately thought they were perfect for it yeah. you know um and uh and they were both up for us they were both big fans of Damo and his music had been very important to them and and they were both uh you know very aware I had to make everyone very aware that we wanted to go really deep
2: mm. you know we're
1: not following these characters over a long period of time we're just kind of dipping into their lives in December um but we're going very deep with them in that period so there was a lot of just hanging out, having coffees, going for swims with Jonathan, hanging out with Packy, just chatting about what the film would be before we actually rolled on anything, you know? Yeah. And then Nadia, um, like I said, we wanted to find someone who was really going through it. And, um, we, uh, got in touch with the rehabilitation center for women, an amazing place, uh, called Ashley house out in, um, uh, near Blanchardstown. And, uh, we met the people who run that and um, told them about the idea for the film, and so we're, look, we're looking for someone, you know, uh, to take part. And they inter- they loved the idea for the film, and they introduced me to Nadia. And I went and met Nadia and explained to her what it was. And um, you know, without going into too much detail as to you know her situation, but she was, she's kind of her whole life; uh, everything's been brushed under the table she's been told never to tell anyone anything you know so uh for her it was really important that she got to tell her story you know yeah um, and uh, she really wanted to be involved as well, and uh, it's just been an amazing journey uh, to go on with the with the three guys. You I, know? I
0: can imagine, I, I, and we'll leave Nadia's story there, because I just yep. think people should watch the movie and, mm. and see where she's at, and, and you know, you're talking about crying people in the audience, I was I was crying uh, watching a lot of the scenes with Nadia, you, you captured them brilliantly, and listen, I, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but and you can tell me if it is, and we'll figure out what we do about it. But one of the things I really like about the film is that we have these three wonderful fans, but at no point do you sit them in front of the camera and have them explain what Damien means to them. Uh, We just see them in the audience, and I thought that was such a subtle use of, of filmmaking. It was a brilliant way to do it. Had you toyed with that idea that you'd get them to talk about Damien, or did you always know you just wanted to, you know... Not to be cliched about it, but let the music speak.
1: Well, yeah, I definitely asked them in the interview. Um, and we had that, you know, answer, should mm. we wanted to use it in the edit. But it was kind of a, a case of a show, don't tell kind of yeah. thing, you know? Um, it just, it, that was very much in the edit. But like, yeah, it, it was intended to be. Um, obvious you know from yeah of course oh no reports. it is
0: absolutely but it's subtle as well you know yeah
1: no I, I love the idea of it being subtle there's a lot of subtle things in there there's a there's a few layers uh mm. to the film um and um yeah it's nice that people are picking up on these things but uh yeah we uh, we also interviewed a lot of the fans outside you know vox pop style and uh, i worked with mcmahon editing and you know we had I really wanted to put them in because you know some of the fans said amazing things about Demo and what his music meant. And it wasn't our three main characters; it was just the overall crowd. And it just kind of as we went into it, we just realized, you know what, we don't need it. Mm. We don't need it. Yeah, you know, the pictures tell the story. You can see very clearly what Demo means to people. You yeah, don't need to tell people. Um, and that was what was interesting when I first went to the gig. When I was watching the crowd, I was just like everyone has a story here you know everyone's everyone's missing somebody and it, this is the beauty of his gigs as well it's people from all generations all walks yeah. life, and and everyone's there feeling something and for some people they've been to hell and back in their lives mm-hmm. uh, and for other people you know they might have just broken up with their girlfriend the previous week but but everyone's feeling something together and it's a, it's very much like a um, you know a safe space almost that that demo creates and it's it's a wonderful thing you know
0: yeah absolutely and you know i was also thinking It's shot in black and white and it looks lovely, but, and I don't know what you make of this and I'm not even entirely sure what I'm saying, but it could have been like a 1960s working man's club in Wales or something. It could have been anywhere, if you know what I mean. Like, I think there's a real international feeling to this. Like, it's an extraordinary, ordinary gig, if you know what I mean, that I think the movie's going to travel well because... Sure, it's Dublin and it's Vicar Street, but when you're looking at those people singing their hearts out with tears in their eyes, and if you park Damien for a second, that audience could be any bunch of people having a great experience anywhere.
1: Yeah, well, like um, I'm in Glasgow right now. Uh, we screened it in Glasgow last night. We had it in London on Saturday, Nottingham on Sunday, and we're doing more cities around the U.K., And I had dinner with a couple of Native American guys last night who were here for uh, COP26, you know. Right. It was interesting to hear their perspective on it because they were saying, you know, in the tribal, uh, you know, the the singing is a huge part of the ceremony. You know, everyone's singing together and people cry when they're singing and it's a meditative thing. So, um, yeah, like singing is just this primal thing that human beings have been doing forever, you know, when we all get together and sing it puts us in a great place. It puts us in a happy place and it puts us in a, a meditative state, which, you know, improves our mood, you know, yeah. um, and and helps us to uh, get, get a bit more clarity, I suppose. So, um, so yeah, I really, the, that kind of stuff really um, encourages me because I was uh, worried that maybe this film would be something that only Damien Dempsey fans would get, you know, but yeah. I've been really encouraged by, some of the feedback I've been getting on the screenings, you know, people who never knew about Demo, who are just, you know, love the film and are really and are really enjoying it and getting a lot out of it. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, she accomplished. A yeah.
0: Listen, finally, then it's again another obvious question, but when you show Damien the final cut, what was his reaction?
1: Yeah, well, that was great. That was a great day. Um, Demo came over to the edit suite and just the two of us and kind of the height of covid as well so we were masked up in the opposite corners of the room you know? and <laughs> um, right. yeah, was kind of i was glancing over to see how he was reacting you know because you're always very worried you know that he might not like it or he might you know want to change loads of things but the only change demo had was you have to put a shot of my other brother in because <laughs> we had a shot of one of the brothers but not the second brother so that was literally the only change demo made um so he absolutely loved it and uh he shed a few tears like everyone else and yeah. um it's just been lovely and then all the cast came in and, and Jonathan natty and Packy each watched it individually with me you know and and again you know everyone everyone fully embraced it no one had any worries or changes or anything like that so it's just been a lovely process buy-in from all the relevant people from the beginning and it's just been a yeah, just a a great experience to to make it, you know.
0: Great. Well, look, I hope an audience will buy into it now because I watch a lot of music docs for this gig and and my own edification and pleasure, and I've never seen anything like this. It's a wonderful piece of cinema. It really is. And a documentary, and as I say, a part concert video. It's Love Yourself Today. It's in cinemas from the 5th of November. Please go and see it in the cinema. Its director has just been talking to me there, Ross Colleen. Ross, the very best of luck with it.
1: Thanks so much John, really appreciate it.
3: In this legendary room full of soul and sweet empathy,
1: welcome
2: to the sing-song of the century.
1: I always wanted to make people high without drinking drugs, you know? Make people forget whatever's going on in their
2: lives.
0: Greetings, my friends, how are you? Believe me, I've been at a place in my life where I never thought it was possible to even have a date clean. All the mayhem, the ducking, the diving, I've lost so many friends, I've been in so many close altercations with things, and I think how am I still here, you know? There's so much trauma
1: out there, you know? Music can help and heal this trauma.
0: Yes, a clip there from Love Yourself Today, which is in cinemas from this Friday, the 5th of November. Everything I said in that interview is true. I really wasn't expecting what I saw. I thought it was absolutely delightful and profound. Another colleague of mine in here, Claire McKenna, who presents Alive and Kicking, also saw it and has been raving about it to anyone who will listen. So do yourself a favour. Go and see Love Yourself Today in the cinema. Up next, favourite movie time with actress Simone Kirby. Now you're listening to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone about their favourite movie. Simone Kirby is one of Ireland's busiest actors of the last decade, appearing in everything from Jimmy's Hall to Peaky Blinders to His Dark Materials on BBC, the uh, TV show based on the great Philip Pullman novels and this Sunday on RTE she can be seen in its new drama Hidden Assets where she plays a blinged up woman who gets caught up in the murky goings on of the diamond trade And Antwerp, but as I say, she's here ostensibly to chat about her favorite movie. Hello, Simone. How are you?
2: Hi, I'm good, John. Thanks.
0: So, listen, I I love this slot because you know it's it's the Forrest Gump thing. You never know what you're going to get, and uh, your choice is an inspired one. But will you tell people what you've opted for as your favorite film?
2: I have chosen the E. T.
0: Oh wow! Uh, and it seems like a crazy question, but but why?
2: <laughs> um. I think part of the reason why E.T., because I was torn a little bit, because I do love Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and that's usually my go-to, <laughs> that I would say. Yeah. But when I really, really thought about it and how I you know, would watch a movie over and over again, it would always be E.T. If it, If it's on the TV, I get sucked right back into it. And I think part of the reason is it was the very first film I ever saw in the cinema. Oh, wow. Um, I must have been around four years old. And it was, um, I remember really clearly being outside my school. Um, and my mom was taking me that weekend. And it, in Ennis at the time, there was one cinema screen. And you could only see films of the weekends. And I hadn't gotten there the first weekend that it was shown. And I remember standing outside the school and some of the kids were doing the like, E.T. phone home and all that stuff. And I was standing <laughs> there. Blocking my ears and closing my eyes because I didn't want to know anything about it. And if anybody knows me, anybody who knows me will say, I'm exactly the same now. If people talk about a movie that I haven't seen or like Squid Games, people were talking about recently at a dinner table. I had to block my ears and close my eyes because I don't want to know anything before I see a movie or a TV show. Um, Yeah. And the whole experience of going to the movies for the first time and being in the cinema, and I remember sitting in the back row and and how scary the opening of the film is and how sort of, how blown away I was at the experience of being there. And I think that's really stuck with me.
0: Yeah, it's a lovely story. And in terms of the story itself, you know, it's it, it's uh, people know it. We don't need to go through the plot or anything. But, you know, I, I found out subsequently that in a way it had a lot to do with Spielberg's childhood and how he saw himself as an outsider and all that. So does the story still work for you now as an adult?
2: Completely, and I think like it has everything. It has the beginning is still quite scary. I mean, not mm. not that I'm genuinely scared, but he's made it very, very creepy. Those first images of ET, he's not cute in those first. You know, when he's going yeah. through the grass, it is quite creepy. And when ET, when when Elliot comes out and and the ball comes out of the shed, like it's just done so well. And then it's really cute and sweet. And then, and then at the end, it still makes me bawl. <laughs> like, I, I watched it with my kid a couple of years ago. He must have been around six at the time. And I was bawling and he wasn't. So obviously it just works for me. Yeah, but I, I still cry.
0: Wow. It, it's funny you mention Elliot and watching it with your kid. Our youngest son, not to make this about me, uh, is called Elliot. And the amount of times people say to us, is that after the boy in E.T.? And I have to rudely tell them, no, of course not. But I was going to ask you because I knew you have a, a, a son. And when you showed it, and I love showing my own kids' movies I loved as a kid. Did he get the emotional impact of it or did he, was he taken with it?
2: He did. It was it was Christmas, and we actually showed him E.T. and The Lion King in the one day. <laughs> oh wow,
0: that's a big emotional way to lay on. him. <laughs> I
2: don't know, but like I say, I was wrecked after both of them, and he was kind of okay. I remember The Lion King. You know, he grabbed his, he looked up at his dad, and he sort of moved in for a cuddle with his dad at that really heartbreaking moment. Yeah. Um. So I know, and I think maybe now that he's older, he might get it even more. I think. Yeah. When you're six, you're sort of still confused by your feelings a bit more. Uh, I think now he'd probably cry a little bit more watching it.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Listen, I mentioned your long, busy career, but one thing I didn't mention in all that is theatre. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Ruth Nega. Not so long ago, I was talking to Ray Fiennes. And all these actors I talk to, they always swear by theatre, particularly as they become even more famous, that it's almost like it grounds them and it's a, it, it's an armour for what other chaos might come on a movie set or or, or or a TV set. And I have a feeling you might be quite similar, that theatre, you know, even though it might be mentioned in terms of what you do as much as, say, BBC shows or whatever or movies, that you swear by it as well. It's a very important part of what you do
2: yeah i i learned everything and made all my mistakes in theater the great thing about mm-hmm. theater is you can be you can be bad one night and then the following night go look at i'm 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 not making those mistakes again you know you can you fail and get up and fail and get up uh, yeah. you know and 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 you fail in front of people there's no you know if you if you're bad on screen they can edit together a performance i mean there's so many really famous films where you can tell a performance has been stitched together in the edit room. And you can't do that on theater. Like the audience are right there. They'll see you be bad and you have to give it everything. Um, and one of the things I worked with the DOP called David Marsh a couple of years ago, and he was saying, he can always tell when someone has learned their craft in theater because they, they, it's head to toe acting. Mm-hmm. While a lot of the time, you know, if you've, if you've come up through TV and film, it's, it's all happening from the shoulders up, yeah. Um, and so there's there is, I suppose, differences that people can see. But for me, it's just uh, a great way to to learn how to be absolutely in the moment. And you have to go on the journey every night, the complete journey. It's not this. I always feel like film and TV. It's snippets of acting. Mm. You get to act for maybe a three minute scene, maybe maybe one minute, um, and then you stop. And then there's a ten minute wait while they fix the lights. Yeah, and then you get to act for another three minutes. Um, and I think if your background is in theatre, you've often thought very carefully about the entire arc and where you are, what points you're hitting in that moment. Mm. Um, and maybe people who 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 who've learned in TV and film have their own ways of doing things like that. But that for me is comes from theatre really.
0: Yeah. And tell me this, is staying with kind of E. T. and Lion King related things, even though it's it's probably young adult as opposed to children's, I mentioned his dark materials. I read those books maybe ten years ago and I just thought they were wonderful. I was a child of the Lord of the Rings and I just thought this was great fantasy stuff, it really was. Were you a fan of, of the series the the Northern Lights? It was because I, I know you from what I've read you loved being in that uh playing uh, Mary Malone had you read those books before you were brought into it
2: yeah I read them about 13 years ago I'd say maybe more um myself and my husband we were we, we were dating and it was the same I've heard Lin-Manuel Miranda to talk about how him and his missus were 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 dating when they read the books together as well the exact same thing happened with me and Fergal we read the books together and um Anytime anyone ever asked me what my favorite books were, what my top five were, that trilogy were always in the top five. I loved okay. them. And I found even though, you know, they were sold as kids books, I really didn't feel that they were kids books at all. Mm-hmm. I think even though children are the main two characters, um, there's, there's an awful lot of philosophical stuff in there oh, Yeah, that really blew my mind when I read the books.
0: Yeah, no I, I completely agree with you. And when you say the Lynn Manuel thing and, and you and your like you were discussing these while you were in the early throes of romance
2: me and Fergal, yeah
0: yeah no no I don't mean you and Lynn Manuel <laughs> <laughs> That would be a scoop
2: that would definitely be a scoop um uh, no yeah me and Fergal would yeah we were both we both bought them and read them at the same time and would and would talk about them um and same actually we did the same with the Harry Potter stuff I had read the first two I think when I met Fergal um so those those two series of books we talked a lot about when we were dating
0: Okay. And listen, finally, and we have to mention this, you're going to be back on our screens uh, Sunday night on RT1, the new drama Hidden Assets. Now I haven't seen it, unfortunately, but I gather it's, as I said in the intro, taking place in Ireland and Belgium and you play a well-off lady who's up to her neck in dodgy diamond dealing or something along those lines?
2: Well, I can't say too much about No. You, but yeah, she's a, she's a very well-off woman Um in antwerp which i don't usually get to drive those kind of cars Mm. i had the most incredible car and the most incredible house and i yeah like i say i don't usually get to do that so that was fun um i only filmed in antwerp even though they were they were filming in ennis Mm. (laughs) oh wow shannon and limerick and all my you know my my home turf and stomping ground yeah i was gutted i was the only one who wasn't filming there really apart from the belgians um yeah, so that was amazing. It was it was lovely to be in Antwerp for six weeks after being on my couch during a pandemic for a year.
0: So was this was this a shoot that was very much you uh, had to be very COVID compliant and all that because it was shot last summer, I gather.
2: It was shot. Yeah, this year we went over. I think it was was it March, April, May. Yeah, it was because I remember spending my Easter Sunday with Peter Coonan. Okay. <laughs> because we were missing I was missing my family and he was missing his family so I made us a nice chicken dinner um but uh yeah we had to be getting over to Belgium at the time you know it wasn't just that we had to do our PCR tests but they had to do loads of paperwork to get us over there as well to make sure there was a reason for us to be there none of us could bring our families over you know Angeline couldn't either and we all
0: Angeline ball of course is in it as well I should say Yeah.
2: yeah um so yeah and we could only really the good thing is we were all in a bubble because we didn't know anybody else in Belgium so we just hung out with each other and um Siobhan Burke our our producer wore two masks every day <laughs> so everybody yeah look at everybody was very uh careful and yeah sure but I'm
0: sure it was nice to be back on a set as well
2: yeah well it was weird My 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 um my stamina was really low. I hadn't, you know, I'd been at home for a year and mm. I had forgotten what it takes to get up, you know, at 5 every morning and get home at 8 every night and it was uh it was tough and and it was weird being around because you know when you there's only so often the actors can wear masks because obviously, you know, when we're filming we can't. And then all of the crew come in and they're moving lights around you and having a group of men kind of all over you. <laughs> Was was kind of freaky in the beginning and I had to just relax and, and get used to it.
0: Mm. Hidden Assets is on RT1 this Sunday night. Uh Chicken Dinners in Antwerp, that might be, you know, could be a possible name for your memoir whenever you get around <laughs> to that. Her favourite movie is E.T., it was wonderfully described. Simone Kirby, thank you very much.
2: Thank you. E.T., can you say that? Can you say E.T.? E.T.
0: E. T. E. T. E. T. E.T. Be good.
2: Be good. I taught him that, too.
0: You should give him his dignity. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen.
3: Phone.
2: Phone? He said phone? He said phone? Can't you understand
0: English? He said phone.
2: E.T. Home. Phone.
0: E.T. phone home. E.T. there. That needs no explanation whatsoever really does it. That was the favourite movie choice of the lovely Simone Kirby who was chatting to me about her favourite movie and also her new TV show on RTE this Sunday Hidden Assets. That is it for this week. My thanks to Amory Kane who helped out on the show. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage during the week please feel free to tweet me John underscore Fardy. You can email us screentime at newstalk.com This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud and it's on the radio Every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. Have a good week and I'll talk to you all next week.